Well, it's good to be back with you guys. Uh, <clears throat> if you're newer to Grace, uh, you wouldn't know this, but uh, I've been away for a couple weeks. And uh, so two weeks ago, I was preaching at our Barberton campus. And uh, many of you know we have a campus over here in Barberton, and we're looking for a campus pastor. And so I was preaching there. I love the opportunity to be there. But I need to tell you this, that uh, so that was two weeks ago today, I was preaching there. And uh, at that moment, it was actually the Saturday before the Sunday I preached, uh, I knew I was in trouble. And so for the last uh, two weeks, uh, I have been dealing with pneumonia. And uh, I uh, went into the doctor and uh, I was supposed to go to a conference on that Monday. And I was supposed to uh, preach at a conference out in California. So I was looking forward to a little trip to California, right? And uh, we had to cancel that trip. Uh, I was deathly ill. Uh, and uh, the doctor said, you are going nowhere. And uh, she said, either you go home and listen to me or uh, I'm going to put you in a hospital. And my wife happened to be there, so I didn't have a chance, right? <clears throat> and so uh, I went home. And uh, if uh, you've never had pneumonia, uh, I don't recommend it, all right? Uh, it is something that uh, has kicked my tail end. I don't know how to tell you that. But, uh, and the energy is gone, so I'm going to sit, if you don't mind, it be a shorter uh, service. Uh, I'm asking God's spirit to take my weakness and make sense of it because the next couple of weeks, uh, I just want to talk to you about some things that Jesus has been teaching me. Can we do that? Can I just do that? Uh, I just want to kind of have a conversation with you. I will say this, uh, having pneumonia, when I came home, all I wanted to do was sleep uh, from the doctor's office. And uh, she said, uh, you know, you got to do this, this, and you can't do anything. And so uh, I'm not really wired that way. I don't know how you're wired, but I don't like to sit around. And uh, so having pneumonia, I got extremely bored, right? Amen? And uh, what's interesting is in the middle of boredom, you find something out, that people do stupid, silly things when they're bored, right? Uh, I literally binge-watched. Uh, a show called Alaskan Bush People. Anybody raise, raise your hand here? What's that? You're bored too, I can tell, huh? Like, I don't recommend that either, but I watched that and uh, some other, I don't even like watching TV. But uh, I, I found out something that, that people who are bored will do desperate things, right? They'll do stupid things. They'll do silly things. In fact, it reminded me of something that I read in a book that I love. I'd recommend this book, by the way. J.D. Greer wrote a book called Gaining by Losing. And he talks about a guy named Larry. This is a true story. <clears throat> Larry, lean in. <laughs> Larry went out to the Army surplus, Army Navy surplus store, and he bought 75 used weather balloons. He inflated them. And then he attached them to his lawn chair. The lawn chair then he attached to the back of his pickup truck. And with several friends watching Larry, he climbed into his lawn chair. He settled in. And then he had a friend untie the rope. A friend later said he was hoping to observe the neighborhood from a slightly different angle and gain a new perspective on his life. He took nothing. <laughs> you can't make this up, right? He took nothing with him but a peanut butter sandwich, a six pack of beer, and a fully loaded BB gun. <laughs> Two and a half hours later, the Los Angeles International Airport reported an unidentified flying object in the skies above LAX at nearly 16,000 feet. Lawn chair Larry, as he came known to be, the reclining cosmonaut was now three miles into the sky and a hundred miles from his original launch site. The pilot of the 737 who first spotted Larry said, well, uh, I see what looks like a perfectly still man uh, sitting in a, well, it appears to be a lawn chair. <laughs> and then the pilot said, and I think he's holding a rifle. <laughs> he said, Isn't that awesome? <laughs> That's so cool. In a rescue stunt that would have made comedian Chuck Norris, I didn't realize he was a comedian, proud, SWAT teams lassoed Larry, who had passed out in the chair. <laughs> and they brought him safely to the ground. 
Then it says parenthetically, in case you were curious, his intention had been to lazily go up to the right altitude, then use his BB gun to pop the balloons to keep him at the right altitude. However, when he untied himself from the pickup, friends said he went up so quick like he had been shot out of a cannon that he panicked. And he did the only thing The only thing he knew how to do in a stressful situation, he broke open the six pack. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So about 2,000 feet in the air, he passed out. (laughs) On the ground, after being revived back to consciousness, Larry was promptly issued a $4,000 ticket by the local police for obstruction of airport traffic. Later, it was reduced to 1,500, but a local journalist, here's where I need you to lean in. A local journalist then asked Larry three questions. Question number one, Larry, were you scared? Larry said, yes. The author wrote in parenthesis, actually, he said a lot more than that, but this is a Christian book. We'll leave it at yes. (laughs) Second question, Larry, would you do it again? Larry said, no, at least he's a quick learner. Third question, lean in. Larry, why did you do it? Larry said, I just got tired of always sitting around. Bored people who get tired of sitting around will do silly things, sometimes stupid things. Bored people will do stupid things and bored people, you know what they need to do? They need to create what? Drama. That's what they need to do. Sometimes they create drama by pulling a prank, right? Sometimes they create drama by doing something crazy, picking a fight, whatever it is. And then there's some bored people, they want no drama. They just become really, really boring, right? Bored people that become boring. You're saying, Dan, why are you talking about boring people? Because there's a lot of people, you might be one, lean in, who are bored in church. A lot of people who would call themselves followers of Christ, they would even say, I'm a Christian who are bored. They're bored of sitting around. And the reason they're bored, you ready? The reason they're bored is in our 21st century, American understanding of Christianity is that somehow Jesus has called us to be a Christian who attends church services and we sit around. Then part of being a Christian is we go to Bible studies where we sit around. And then we go to seminars where we sit around. Then you go to a Christian concert where you sit around, and a lot of Christians are bored with Christianity. They're bored with their experience of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so this whole idea of this series sent is because, listen, 21st century American Christian is bored because somewhere we've missed the calling of Jesus on our life. And the calling of Jesus was never for us to sit around. In fact, those who were the first followers of Jesus wouldn't have recognized that kind of Christianity. In fact, I want you to write this down, following Jesus, I want you to write it down, it's gonna be where we're going, is not about sitting around but it's about being sent out. And when followers of Christ get bored sitting around, they do stupid things. They do silly things or they become really, really boring. And the call of Christ was never to sit around. The call of Christ was to be sent out. In fact, at the very heart of Christianity is this idea of being sent. God is a God who sent. When the New Testament talks about Jesus, it 44 times or more says he was sent. And then when Jesus talks to his followers, he says, I am sending you. The essence of what it means to be a follower of Christ is to be sent. In fact, let me show you two passages in particular. This is Jesus talking. John 17, verse 18 As you sent me, Jesus said, he's talking to the Father, into the world, 
I have sent them into the world. Then a little later, verse 21, chapter 20, again Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Here's what I want you to hear today, and we're just gonna tease this out, and then the next two weeks we're gonna talk about it, right? Jesus' call is never to come and be seated. In fact, even if this, like, I don't know how I feel about what you're saying. Jesus' call wasn't to come and be seated. It wasn't even simply to come and grow. It's important. But, but, but we've made Christianity, I gotta, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to grow. Like, what do you mean by that? It wasn't to come and just simply grow. It wasn't just to simply come and be entertained. His call was, follow me and you will be sent. Let me say it this way. If you're here and you're a follower of Christ, attending church and church services is not your calling. Now now listen, you're like, really? It's vital. It's vital in equipping you for your calling. Attending or going to a Bible study is not your calling. It's helpful in your calling. When you hear somebody who, who describes their Christian life, their Christian experience, and their whole description is about their experience of going and sitting in a service, sitting in a Bible study, sitting in a concert, sitting in a seminar, it's about things they've attended, they've missed their calling. The calling Jesus has on their life. The calling he has on their life is to be sent. Begs the question, okay? So some of you are here like, okay, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. You say I'm a Christian. And so I'm sent. It begs this question. You ready? Stay with me. So the next question you ought to be asking is this. Okay, if we're sent, I got to ask myself, sent for what? Right? Like it's one thing to say, all right, Dan, we're sent. That's awesome. But I got to say sent for what? Imagine this. And this is kind of a hypothetical example. Not really. This really did happen to me, but I'm ashamed to say that. But, but imagine if my wife, occasionally she'll do this. I don't know how your relationship is with your spouse, whatever. She'll call me uh, and she'll say, hey, can you run to the grocery store and pick some things up for me? Right? You ever have that happen, right? My wife will do that. Now, now imagine she calls and says, hey, Dan, can you go? She's sending me to the grocery store. Imagine she says, Dan, can you go to the grocery store and pick some things up? Yes, sweetheart, no problem. Boom. Imagine if I hung up, right? Like if I hung up, then can I tell you something in our house? I don't know how you are. I would go home with absolutely nothing that she wanted me to get. Amen? Like, like her and I don't think the same, Okay. I would have nothing she wanted me to get. But this is the part that really happened. Dan, can you go to the grocery store for me? Sure, sweetheart. What do you need? She rattled off a list of about 10, 15 things. Guess what I didn't do? I didn't write a single one. I'm like, oh, I figure it out, right? I went to the grocery store because I was sent, right? I knew what she sent me to do. I came home with not much she sent me to get, amen? I came home because why? Listen, grocery store's distracting. Is anybody with me? Like there's ice cream, right? <laughs> like there's Twinkies, right? Like the lettuce and the bananas and all that, cool, but there's stuff. You see, here's the deal. We are sent so this next three weeks, I'm going to be just frank and honest with you. And I don't have tons of energy, so we're going to go as long as I can, okay? But I need to have just honest conversation with you. The next three weeks, the content of the conversation is focused to everybody in the room who would say, I am a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. If you are a follower of Christ... These next three weeks, Jesus is calling and he's saying, don't hang up and get your pen out and write this down because I'm sending you. For what? Write it down. Come the next two weeks. If you're here and you call yourself a follower of Christ, this is no guilt trip, I'm begging you to come all three weeks. Now, some of you are here and you're not a follower of Christ. You're like, I'm just checking this out. And so I'm being upfront with you that, that you're going to be like, well, does this apply to me? Well, okay, I'm focusing on those who are followers of Christ. Can I tell you this? You get a chance to listen in on the conversation. 
Isn't it fun to eavesdrop on a conversation? You get to eavesdrop on the conversation for the next three weeks. And it's important that you do to hear the call of Jesus because to follow Jesus means to be sent. That's what it means. Everybody listen, this isn't in my notes. It's not where I was gonna go. If you come, you're gonna hear me tease this out because I can see some of your eyes going like, okay, okay, this isn't one of those sexy felt needs kind of sermons. No, our culture's in trouble. You're like, I know it is. No, no, our church culture's in trouble. Our church culture's in trouble because we use the word Christian. Everybody wants to say, I'm a Christian. Not many want to follow Jesus. We're going to talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus? You see what I'm saying? So you see this right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Look at Matthew 4 with me. Matthew 4, verse 18. Here's what it says. Jesus walking beside Sea of Galilee sees two brothers, Peter and Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake. Why? Because they were fishermen. Jesus said this to them. Very first call. He had just preached he, he had been tested by Satan in the wilderness. And this is him calling his first followers. He says, come, follow me, and I will, what's that word? I will what? Send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. I want you to write this down. If I follow Jesus, I will fish for people. If I follow Jesus, I will fish for people. Which means this, okay? I know we're starting hard. If I'm not fishing for people, somewhere along the way, I've stopped following Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. If I'm not fishing, he said, come follow me. And if you follow me, I will send you out to fish for people. If I'm not fishing for people, somewhere along the way, I've stopped following Jesus. Jesus said, if you come follow me, I'm going to send you out. And I'm going to send you to fish for people. Okay, let's ask this question, okay? What then does it mean to fish for people? I want you to write this down. Here's what it means. It means we are sent to evangelize. We are sent to evangelize. Now, this is the part of the program I want to talk to everybody in the room who's not a follower of Christ. So if you're like, here, I don't want to even say, I'm just checking this out. I want to tell you something that just happened. It just happened. I pro- I've done this a long time. It just happened. All across this room, when I sent, said, we are sent to evangelize, I can tell you they're not showing it, but every Christ follower in this room had one of several reactions. Some of them, the reaction, they're not showing it, they're smiling at me, but they have this reaction of fear. Oh no, this is the sermon that I'm always like, ah. Others of them had this this feeling of guilt. Oh man, we're gonna do that again. I like it when we talk about stuff that's easier. Some of them, they're not showing it, don't look at them, but but I can tell who they are. They got this look of complacency. Because they're like, oh, yeah, I've been doing this church thing a long time. Wah, 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 wah. That's what they're thinking, right? I promise you there is reactions all over this room. They're happening this minute. And yet we cannot ignore that Jesus said, follow me. You'll fish for people. That means we are sent to evangelize if we're followers of Jesus. So what in the world does it mean to evangelize? Sounds like a church word. Here's what it means. It simply means to proclaim the good news. Forget that. Let's use fisherman terms. It means to spread the net of the good news of Jesus as far and as often as possible. That's what it means. Said, you follow me, that's what you do. We use the term around here, give it away. Here's what I want you to write down. It means being sent to evangelize means we are sent to give away the good news about Jesus. That's what we're sent to do. Not called to sit around, sent to spread the net of the good news of Jesus as far and as often as possible. That's what he says. Now, it, 
Some of you have, have heard that before. You're like, that's not new news. I've heard this kind of message a gazillion times, right? And here's what happens usually when you hear a teacher or a preacher talk about evangelism. They go right from that into what? Well, what do we do? And that's a mistake. That's a mistake. That's a mistake. Because if I go right into, okay, what do we do to evangelize more and better? It's gonna lead me to, to, to share Jesus based out of guilt or gimmick. I either learn a gimmick or I'm guilted into sharing Jesus. It's the wrong place to start. I can't start with what do I do? The place we have to begin is why do I do it? It has to start with the motivation. Here's what I want you to write down and then I wanna flesh this out for you. The reason that we are called and sent to evangelize is because the good news is that Jesus first and foremost was sent to save me. The motivation for evangelism is understanding that first and foremost, the gospel we were sent with was a gospel that is Jesus came to save me. Listen. One of the most familiar verses in all the Bible, you, you maybe don't even read the Bible, but you've heard this verse. John 3, 16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave, he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to what? What's that word? To what? Condemn the world. That's good news. Can I get an amen or yes on that? I'm glad for that. Yeah, you're like, we're not an amen in crowd today, I guess. I don't know. You got pneumonia or something? What's up? God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent him to save the world through him. God sent to save, not to condemn. I love that. I love that that's in there, right? Like, like our world has like this crazy picture of Jesus. Like he came to condemn and point out and you, and he came to save. Why is that important? Everybody lean in. Because the motivation for being sent to evangelize. Listen close. This isn't preacher talk. This is me having a conversation with you. The motivation is a deep, profound, and personal experience with that gospel. Oh, I can already tell some of you are shutting me down. The motivation is a deep, profound, and personal experience with that gospel. That good news only becomes good when I realize that news is for me. Let me say it this way, because I can already tell you, like, where are you going with this, Dan? Imagine, this is hypothetical. Imagine my wife and I on my porch this afternoon drinking a glass of iced tea, just sharing an afternoon together. We enjoy doing that, right? Imagine an ambulance comes screaming down my driveway. Imagine that. Like we're sitting there having iced tea, an ambulance, lights on. Imagine four guys get out with a gurney and they're like, we're here to help. I'm like, like we'd be shocked, right? I'd be like, I, I look, I'm like, well, thanks. You know, I appreciate that. Like random call in the middle of the afternoon. I'm like, well, you know, I, I really don't need anything. But since you guys are here and you're kind of experts in the area, I mean, I, I wonder if maybe I get some advice from you, right? I wonder if you could show me how to get rid of these love handles or something like that, right? I mean, these guys would be like, you're crazy, Right? But that ambulance, you with me? That ambulance would look really different to my wife and I if I was laying on my porch and I could not breathe. That ambulance would look a lot different to my wife and I if I was laying on that porch having a heart attack, wouldn't it? Because I would know that ambulance was coming to rescue me. You're saying, Dan, why are you saying that? Because a lot of people in a lot of churches, this is why Christianity's in trouble right now, see themselves in the first scenario, that Jesus came to make me a little better, to refine me, to make me a little better than I already am. I need to rough, rub off some rough edges. I need to go to church and kind of become a little more generous, a little more kind. And that is not, listen to what I'm saying, that is nothing close to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He came because spiritually speaking, you cannot get a breath. 
he came, no matter what you grew up in, if you're a church person, not a church person, he came because spiritually speaking, you are dead. And only when that reality becomes a personal, profound, deep experience in your life, will you begin to understand the motivation for being sent to share that story? That's why Paul said this. He said, for Christ's love compels us. It, 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 like he, it, that, that word is this, like we can't stop it. <laughs> you think about that. He's like, I can't help it. Like it compels me. It's gonna boom, it's gonna pop. Because I'm convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. I'm convinced I was on the porch dead. Jesus showed up. Died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. God sent Jesus to die in my place to save me, give me life where there was death, and then to invite me into his family. That's the motivation. And the motivation is what leads to the mission. What's the mission? I want you to write it down this way. Jesus saves me. When I say yes to Jesus, he saves me to send me so others might be saved by Jesus. Jesus saves me, and I want to show you something here, and then I want to, I want to tell you something that's very sobering. Jesus saves me on the porch, spiritually speaking, no life at just the right time. Galatians says, Jesus shows up saves me. He saves me, invites me into his family so that he can send me so others can be saved by Jesus. That's why he saves me. You're saying, why is this important? Can I just tell you this? I've been a pastor 26 years. Right now, one of the things I love that I get to do and, and is, is every Sunday night, my wife and I hang out with some young adults. 40, 50 young adults come to our house. It's a blast, right? My front yard looks like a used car lot, but I love it, right? <laughs> and at the right price, I'll sell you one of them. But anyways, <laughs> if you're here and you're a young adult, I want you to come to my house tonight, right? I want to meet you. I want to spend some time with you, right? We love it. But in hanging out for several years with young adults and teenagers and whatever it might be, here's what I have found, and it's not just young adults. Some of you are asking this question. One of their number one questions is this, what's God's will for my life? Like they'll come into my, like, Pastor Dan, I'm just, uh, I'm just struggling. I'm on this heady, mystical, spiritual journey. I'm trying to find God's will for my life. And, I, and I'll say, well, well, help me understand. What, what do you mean? I, I just am, I, you know, I'm kind of in this holding pattern because I'm trying to find his will for who I should marry, where I should work, where I should live. I just am trying to find God's will for my life. Listen, 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 listen. And there are some people who spend their whole life, I had a good friend of mine, and he went on this journey to find God's will for his life, and he's still out there, he's like my age, he's still like doing this. Like where, I don't know, and when I know, I'll know. Listen, if you want to know God's will for your life, listen close. Everybody lean in, listen. If you want to find God's will for your life, start doing what he's already made clear. Like, like, I actually think that can be a question that can be silly to some degree because many people who ask it aren't willing to listen to what he's already stated. And what he has stated is this. Let me rattle off some things. They'll be on the screen. He said, here's, I want you to know my heart. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. This Jesus, this God that you follow, instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. Anybody glad that's in there? Amen? I'm glad. Like, like what's God's heart? What's his desire? Well, he doesn't want anyone to perish. Well, 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 how does that have anything to do with your will for my life, God? Oh, let me share that with you. Jesus, Matthew 5. Uh, in light of that, you are the what? The what? Say it out loud. You are the light of the world. Town lit on hill can't be hidden. Do the people light a lamp, put it under a bushel, a bowl? Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the room. Same way, your light, let it shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Glorify your Father in heaven. 
How's that apply to me? What's your will for my life? Mark 16, 15, Jesus. And then he told them, go into all the world and say the yellow out loud with me, preach the good news to everyone. By the way, preach, you're like, well, I'm not a preacher. That's just the word for proclaim. 2 Corinthians 5, 20, what's your will for my life, God? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal. What appeal? He doesn't want anyone to perish. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 1 Peter 3, what's your will for my life? But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Look at this, lean in. Always, when always, well, when is always? Always. Like, like you can do the Greek on that, it's always. <laughs> it just is always. When you go to work tomorrow, when you sit in the lunchroom, when you're mowing grass with your neighbor out doing whatever they're doing, always, always, always means always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That's God's will for my life. He's like, well, I'm happy to share that. I'm happy to make that clear. My will for your life is that somehow... I'm sending you so that you will carry out my mission. I don't want anyone to perish. That's it. I like the way Bob Roberts puts it. He says, the church doesn't send missionaries. Some of you grew up in church, like we send missionaries and that's what they do. No, the church is the missionary. We need to change the way we look, look at it. That's why we do give it away. Church is the missionary. That's what we do. I think maybe a quote, I shared this with you a couple weeks ago. I really apologize for my voice, guys. A quote that maybe is more sobering to me is one by Christopher Wright. He said this, just let this stay up there for a minute, Matt. He said, Jesus didn't give a mission to his church. He formed a church for his mission. Look at this. Without mission, church is really not a church. Just a group of disobedient Christians hanging out together. Wow. What makes all this interesting to me is we live in a country where somewhere between 70 and 80% of the people in our country would say they're Christian. Did you know that? 70 or 80, like, but the truth is Listen close, 90%, 90%, say that with me out loud, 90%, I don't want you to miss what I'm saying, of those who call themselves followers of Jesus have never shared their faith with anyone. It might explain why Some Christians are bored because instead of being sent, they're sitting around. It also begs the question as to why in the world wouldn't they share their faith with anyone? And I think, can I suggest three reasons? Because you may be feeling this, like, well, I might be one of those. Can I suggest three? One, and I think this is fair, is, is just naivety. Can we just say that? Naivety. Like I've met people like, like they're newer in their relationship to Jesus and, and you might be one. You're like, honestly, I had no idea, Dan, you know? And, and I had no idea that that was Jesus' call. I'm new to this Jesus thing. And, and so if that's you, I'm like, wow, I, I'm glad. Now you know, <laughs> right? Like now, now you know. Like he saved you to send you. And, and Jesus is calling and don't hang up. And by the way, come the next two weeks. Can I suggest another reason? You're like, wow, Dan, you need to take some more time off. It's kind of heavy, right? It's been heavy on my heart, guys. Like, like it's been heavy on my heart. We're in trouble, right? In our country, there's, there's something astir. Can I suggest a second reason? Can I suggest that maybe we don't share our faith because of idolatry? I already know what your reaction is. You're saying, I ain't got no idols in my house. And I, good, that's a good start, right? That's awesome. Can I show you two passages? This leaned in on me. Like, I don't know how it'll affect you. It leaned in on me. Jesus is speaking in both. He says, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your what? Your what? Your heart will be also. 
Luke 6, 45, then he says, for the mouth speaks what the what? Heart is full of. That's what he says. I might not have idols in my house, but I might have idols in my heart. Because what he says is our treasure and our heart are in the same place and that our mouth will feel free to talk about what we treasure. Like, this is convicting to me. Like, I'm a guy, so I, I kind of know more about what guys talk about, right? You put me in a room with a group of guys, like I see some of my friends, but we could talk all day about sports. Like, I'm not saying these people over here, I'm saying we talk, I talk all day about sports. I love sports. Like, like all of a sudden, my mouth begins to spew what I treasure because my heart and my treasure are always the same. Like, I don't know what it might be for you. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's video games, movies. I know people, they get together and they just talk about, I was with somebody the other day, they, like, they told me about the last 10 movies they saw. I'm like, wow. Talk about binge watching, you know? It's like, that's crazy. I mean, I mean maybe it's your workout. Like, everybody always knows how many burpees you did. I'm like, nobody cares, really. <laughs> you know? Like, but, but, but your heart and your, your heart and what you treasure are the same place in your mouth. You maybe it's shopping. Don't look at anybody. Like, some husbands are like, <laughs> like don't do that. I don't know what it is, but, but this was convicting to me, guys. Because I'm like, well, idolatry, that's what they did back in the Old Testament. And Jesus is like, well, wait a minute, Dan. Your heart and, and what you treasure are the same place. And what you freely speak about usually will indicate what you treasure. And then I thought of a third thing, and it's this, that maybe it's fear. Honestly, many of us are just scared. I mean, if we're just being honest, we're just scared. And, and it's just good to confess that. And, and, and if you're scared, I think it's just like, yeah, I get that. It makes me think of two things. One, it makes me think of the fact <clears throat> that the number one command of God in Scripture is to fear not. Fear not. That's interesting to me. Like over 300 times, he says, fear not. It also makes me think that when Jesus was sending out his disciples in Matthew 10, you ought to read this, he knew they would be afraid of the same things you're afraid of. The Bible is so real, it's ridiculous. Matthew 10, you don't need to turn there, he knew that they would be afraid of rejection. That's why he said in verse 14, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. What's he saying? We don't use that terminology today, right? He's saying, don't let rejection stick to you. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. He also knew they were going to be afraid of not knowing exactly what to say. That's why he said in verse 19, Matthew 10, but when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. I think what Jesus is saying is polished presentations will never take the place of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Like this isn't a gimmick. It's like when, when that becomes real and deep and profound, it becomes normalized and demystified. In fact, there's a story uh, in this church of two young men that I love dearly, and they were willing to share their story on video with us, and I would love for you to be able to have a chance to hear their story. Watch the screens. You know what I mean? I can do it. I, guess. <laughs> I got that on You do, bro. <laughs> we actually met through the Kent State Rec Center. Um, I had a group of my buddies, and he was playing with a group of his buddies. We played against each other. He was like the LeBron of his team, and I was like the Michael Jordan of my team. <laughs> okay. So you guys, can, okay. you guys can figure out who probably won um, and who did better. So 
Yeah, I was actually raised Catholic, so I went to like CCD and all that kind of stuff. But once I started getting out high school, making more friends, um, doing like going out, doing stuff like that, I kind of got away from the whole Jesus aspect, and I just it kind of went out the window for me. I just didn't even think about it. Um, but it wasn't until I met Brandon, like I said, the more we became closer, the more he started talking to me like personal stuff about like Jesus, all that stuff, and. Yeah, I mean, he got me, definitely got me back into it and believing. See, it wasn't like an awkward thing though, just because um, I think like obviously everybody needs Jesus. But you know, as Andy and I just progressed, there was times that I think just coming up in like conversation where maybe there was like some insecurities or just times that it was, it just came up like in normal conversation kind yeah. of deal. So as we were like shooting around together, um, there's like a couple times that we, I mean, just like had deep conversation about maybe some things that he and I were going through, things that we could kind of like resonate with with each other. And uh, I had just started there. I remember the first time um, that I brought Andy to church was actually at Young Adult Group at Dan's house. Um, that was when there's only like 10 of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of, Andy was having a rough day. So, <clears throat> like I know what it feels like to kind of just be bummed out like that. And so I was like, hey man, just come hang out at church, things like that and had a really, really good conversation. Um, on the way to Dan's house, we actually got to pray together um, in a parking lot of a, like a BP or something like that. <laughs> got to share the gospel really kind of like a clear way, which is cool. I think a lot about, you know, we try to do these like, okay, it's time to go evangelize. It's time to bring somebody to church. It's time to share the gospel here. I got to pray for them there. For me, I've always thought that was kind of weird. It's just like, yo, if you're in a relationship with somebody, and um, you care about them, that stuff's gonna come up. You don't have to kind of put like, okay, we're at step one, we're at step two, here's point A, here's point B. Just kind of like love, care about somebody, and when they get to know you, when they see that you're genuine, um, and that you're actually kind of really living what you believe, it's not just something that you say. I think that they're gonna like kind of wonder like, hey, what's, what's up with that? Give those guys a hand, powerful story. <clears throat> I love those guys, and my buddy Andy sitting back here, he was in the video if you run into him. Uh, what's cool is this, uh, I remember that first night Andy came to my house, and watch team set right there two weeks ago three weeks ago right about where you're at Megan we worked our Bible camp and he invested in your children told them about Jesus what I love about their story is this they're as normal as you can get they're actually a little goofy you know, like if you met them, they're, they're just normal, 20-some-year-old guys playing basketball. Brandon started talking to him, inviting him, telling him about Jesus. Next thing you know, Jesus got a hold of his heart. Next thing you know, he's helping introduce Jesus to little kids at Bible camp. You know what bored Christians do? They watch a video like that and they're like, that's cool, we need to have more videos like that in church. That's inspiring. You know what followers of Jesus do? They say, I'm ready for my story. So here's my goal. I'm not even gonna be shy about it. I'm even gonna put it on the screen. My goal today, and I'm gonna share a few things with you and we're done, is that every member and attender of this campus who claims to be a follower of Jesus plays a role in leading someone to faith in Christ. Period. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're like, you're like off the hook, right? But Jesus said, if you're following me, you'll fish for people. 
And it's time for us to demystify it. These guys are as regular as you and me. And somebody's life has been changed forever. And he is beginning to share that with others in his age group. So how on the road do we do that? Can I suggest three things that I need to be done for a lot of reasons? First, I want you to write these down. Then I'm going to call you action, by the way. So that's a little warning. First is this. I'm asking you as a campus to pray daily for your three. Three people in your life who don't know Jesus. Not three people in five states away. Three people who you touch base with, your neighbor, you work with them. Three people that you know who don't know Jesus. Jesus illustrated this. The early church started by praying. So I am asking as one of your pastors, this church, this campus to pray. Pray that God would open your eyes to see three people at minimum in your life who don't know Jesus. You're in their life on purpose. You've been called to be sent. Ask him to begin to break your heart for them. If you begin to pray for them, your heart will begin to change. Your heart, yesterday I'm talking with one of my friends and I was talking to them and we began talking about Jesus. There's somebody that I'm praying for and I looked at them and there's somebody that I have prayed for every day. And I'm asking you to pray that God would open the opportunity for you to talk to them about the good news. I want you to do one better than that. I want to give you a visual sign. This little bracelet that I'm wearing today says Grace Church on the outside. On the inside, it says pray for your three. Pray for your three. It would have been easy for me to place them at the door and say, just grab one on your way out. But my fear would be, say, oh, I want some more grace wear, you know? I want, I'm, I'm, I'm literally saying to you, as somebody who loves you, and I've been thinking and praying about this, I'm asking you to act on the call of Jesus, to commit to praying for your three. I have three baskets up here. When I close, I'm going to pray and say amen, and they're full of these bracelets. And I'm calling and inviting you to come and grab one of these bracelets, whether you wear it on your body like this, you're like, I'm not a bracelet person, put it on a mirror you see every day to remind you to pray for your three and to remind you of what you were called to do. Second, I would challenge us as a campus to make sure gospel demonstration always accompanies gospel proclamation. Let me just stay here for two seconds. It is faddish in our Christian culture to say, hey, we don't have to speak the gospel, we just show it. You ever heard that? In fact, there's a quote that I hear quite often that says, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. You ever heard that? It's a terrible quote. It really is because it is necessary. Romans 10 says, they won't know the truth unless somebody says it. It's a terrible quote, right? And so whereas I want them to see the difference Jesus makes in my life, gospel demonstration needs to be accompanied by gospel proclamation. You're saying, well, I don't, I'm not good at that. Well, I'll go back to my friends. Here's my challenge to every follower of Christ. I know some of you will listen, some of you won't, but my challenge is to go home and write your story of faith out. How did you come to Christ? Three minutes or less. Do it. Take me up on this. This is practical. Go home and do it. Write your story. If you have a story, you know how to share. Polished presentations aren't the secret. This culture can see right through that. But if you have a story of how you came to Christ, write it out. Learn to share it. But I want to make sure I say this gospel proclamation always needs to be accompanied by gospel demonstration. Always. This goes without saying, but some of us in the room have been beaten up by somebody who all they do is preach the gospel at us, but they won't share a meal with us. They won't mow the grass for us. They, won't, they never show any kindness to us. 
They need to go together. They always go together. Last, and then I'm going to pray. The bracelets are at the front. Be patient. It's a process. Evangelism is not an event. It's a process. It's about gospel conversations. It's about ongoing relationships. Build relationships. Ask. Some of you have people in your life like, how do I start? Well, I'm not very good at this either, guys. I'm just being honest with you. I have some dear friends of mine. Here's how I began. I went to them and I said, how can I pray for you? Is there any ways I can pray for you? And they kind of looked at me like, well, yeah. And they started listening. Now when they come like, hey, they, they want to tell me about these things that I'm praying for. It's like now we have a conversation. See what I'm saying? I would suggest this, that it's a process. Don't rush to give the people in your life who don't know Christ answers. Here's what I mean. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, do you believe in reincarnation? A lot of Christians have been trained to say, no, the Bible says resurrection. Like, don't do that. I'd look at them and say, that's a great question. And what Jesus actually talks about is actually resurrection. Would you like to know more about that? You see what I just did? I actually invited them to have a conversation with me. See how that works? It's a process. Don't get so bent on, they didn't pray, they didn't. Listen, listen. Then I I want you to come and grab these bracelets. And and if, if, if you commit to praying for your three, this I know is not a sexy, feel good, felt need sermon. I get it. But if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, I'm begging you to come the next two weeks because Jesus is calling. For some of you in this room, he's calling you for the first time. You've never responded. And he's saying, I love you. I died for you. And I'm calling you to come and follow me. So God, I pray that we would respond to the call of Jesus in our life. And God, I pray that you would help us trust Jesus, to follow Jesus. And I think of these bracelets and these baskets. And God, I pray because they aren't just bracelets, they represent thousands of lives. Thousands of lives. People that you love and are not willing or wanting them to perish. And so God, I pray that you would help us to pray to demonstrate the transformation of the gospel and to be willing to share our story and allow you to work in their life. I love you. Thank you for loving me. I pray this in Jesus' name.